0: Uh, We're about to start the show, so stay tuned.
1: Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to WBAI 99.5 FM and streaming live on WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz. I am senior politics reporter for Glamour Magazine here every Thursday at 5 with the lovely and talented Jeff Simmons. Jeff, what's up? I love being your sidekick. <laughs> <laughs> It is, uh, I, it's It's going to be a good show today, actually. I'm, I'm very excited about this. We have some uh, interesting people and a lot of interesting stuff going on to talk about today. Big day in city politics, State of the City Address a lot going on there. And it kind of fits in perfectly with what we were planning to talk about this week anyway, which is affordability, right? How much it costs to to get by here in New York.
2: And are are many New Yorkers
1: getting squeezed out of the city, especially middle-class New Yorkers? Exactly, exactly. So, um, you know, we have some, I know you did, uh, you did, you were the good boy, you did the research, right? Uh, In terms of uh, looking at some of the the stats that have come in. Um, But there are some interesting, uh, interesting ideas in today's state of the city. I don't know if you guys have uh, had a chance to look at uh, some of the coverage there, or to look at some of the proposals there, but maybe one of the uh, the biggest things to come out of the state of the city, uh, delivered by Mayor de Blasio today, obviously, uh, the discussion of uh, health care coverage. And providing some kind of health care coverage for all new yorkers uh, regardless of income regardless of their insurance status or their their work status this is a very big deal and uh we will be very interested to see uh, a lot more detail i think about about how exactly that's going to work typically uh you know and i know that you maybe probably agree with me i know that you maybe probably agree with me okay i'm excited here but jeff i mean like as a reporter, you know that these
2: state-of-the-city addresses tend to be real big picture, and then the details come later. And what was so interesting is that watching the rollout earlier this week with, you know, free health care for all. Mm-hmm. I always, I told you, I always envision <laughs> Oprah saying that, free health care for all. But, you know, leaking some of the big issues beforehand to kind of create that momentum. But I have to tell you, I was, thanks to Scott Stringer, our first guest, I was made aware through his public schedule that this was happening today because I was always, you know, we always had that heads up much earlier. uh, And it just seemed to, you know, happen very quickly. Okay, great, so uh, since
1: since you mention it, uh, we are very proud uh, today to welcome to the program uh, Scott Stringer, he is the controller, or as I used to have to write it, the comptroller of New York City. He is the, uh, the man who watches over the uh, city's uh, fiscal books, uh, our fiscal health, and most importantly, the uh, $160 billion public pension system. Uh, he looks at the budget, he audits the agencies, and he reviews claims against the city. So uh, if you don't know him, which Jeff and I, I think, know him going quite a ways back, uh, he was also uh, formerly a member of the State Assembly, and he was Manhattan Borough President. So uh, we will see what's next in his political future. Hint, hint, hint about something I'm going to ask. Welcome to the program, Controller Scott Stringer.
3: I can't uh, think of two people I would uh, most want to be on the show with. So it's great to be on the show. I've been trying to get on it for a long time you wouldn't have me but finally you will end it so thank you
1: <laughs> the list the list of people waiting to get on this program is pretty long pretty distinguished but you know what we, we figure it's a it's a good day to be talking about money and we are, we are happy to have you here so thank no, you No, that's, that's right thank so, you so thank, thank you, you for having me for making the time so um, actually I want to uh, jump right in with uh, a question about the the state of the city before I get to what I really obviously want to ask you um I want to read a uh quote that was attributed to you as a response to uh, this. You attended the, uh, the address today. Was it, that's, uh, that's your hood, right? The uh, Up west uh-huh. side?
3: Up west side. Uh,
1: so I'm just going to read this here for the, the uh, listeners here at WBAI, and then maybe you can tell us a little bit more about, uh, about it. Um, quote, oh, sorry, and this is you speaking about the mayor. Quote, he wants to be very much part of the national stage, and I don't begrudge that. I never have. He can go to Iowa, and he can go to New Hampshire. But at the end of the day, he's got to take care of business here. And you have to put the homeless crisis on the table, NYCHA on the table. You have to start thinking about what a fair city actually is. So tell us about, you know, why that was your reaction to what you heard from the mayor today.
3: First of all, let me just say, I thought that the speech was very compelling. I think he really knocked it out of the park, so to speak. I think he was very fired up, and he talked about a lot of the critical uh, proposals that the city needs to deal with. And I think he really made a case for uh, ensuring 600,000 people, more paid vacation for families, all very critical and very progressive issues. I think people want to fully understand what the plan is to confront some of the great challenges the city has. First and foremost, we need to address the staggering homeless population. We went from spending $1.4 billion on homeless services four or five years ago. We're now spending close to $2.9 billion, yet we have a homeless explosion. So many children are in homeless shelters. How that was not discussed is kind of mind-boggling. The whole issue of, the challenges of public housing, the possibility of a NYCHA takeover, the fact that we still don't really have a long-range plan for NYCHA residents. This has been in the news for a whole year. Almost nothing was said about that. And then the real challenges that we face is how can people stay in the city? What about land use and zoning, community-based planning? How are we going to transform the city in a big way? And also... I think we needed to have a, a, a full throttle discretion about the public school system, about integration, about making sure that every child can get to the high-tech economy. You know, Celeste, I, Jeff, you know, for me, this is uh, what I think about as a parent in the public school system every day. Where is my seven-year-old and five-and-a-half-year-old? This, where do those boys land in our city society? And, of course, we really worry about the kids we're never going to meet those 100,000 children in homeless shelters, and what is their uh, educational future? So I do think we are in a progressive city, and I think the mayor gets a lot of credit for it. But if you want to be the biggest and best progressive city, these are the issues we have to tackle.
1: And if you're just joining us, this is Driving Forces on WBAI 99.5 FM. Uh, Jeff Simmons and Celeste Katz, we are talking to New York City Controller Scott Stringer about today's State of the City address by Mayor Bill de Blasio. Uh, so, Controller, I really want to stick on this for one second. The idea of uh, devoting uh, one sentence or one moment, uh, just really not going there that much on NYCHA, Uh do you, did you get the feeling being there personally that it was because he, he had nothing to say, he had no answers for it, or because he wanted to you know, highlight the positive and, and you know, make, his, uh, uh, make his image look a little bit more uh, sort of uh, progressive and uh, appear to be getting things done, you know, put himself on the national stage, as you mentioned? What, why, did, why did he not go there enough?
3: These are very difficult issues, NYCHA, homelessness. The education of our children. And look, again, I don't begrudge him. A state of the city is also uh, cheerleading the accomplishments of an administration. That is something that, that he certainly has a right to do. He is not the first mayor to highlight the positive and try to mitigate the more difficult challenges. But it's also my job and the job of advocates to keep the critical issues facing the city economy on the front burner. So that is why when people ask me how was the speech, I say performed well, he was energized, he certainly wanted to elevate a lot of issues to the national stage, something he's always attempted to do, but I'm going to keep the city administration focused on the issues I care about.
2: And one of those issues that you care about uh, that you discussed last week uh, was the uh, rollout or the lack of a rollout by that point, of the uh, Fair fares initiative. Can you talk a little about why this was important to you and the reaction that happened within, say, 24, 48 hours when the administration did, it seemed like it was hastily putting something together?
3: You have to, if you're going to be a progressive, you have to be a progressive that can govern. They're not mutually exclusive. So here, the city council and the mayor have a handshake agreement A hundred and six million dollar funding opportunity for up to eight hundred thousand people, many who are living in poverty, to access a half fare metro card. Believe it or not, there are people who can't go go to a job interview or take their kid to the doctor because they just can't afford the subway fare. So, the Community Service Society, David Jones Riders Alliance, all of the advocates for the last two years, we've been arguing that we should roll out a program. And much to our surprise, but also a great victory, the city council and the mayor agreed to do it. And that was great. There was a ticker tape parade, self-congratulations all around. This was going to be a great initiative. I was thrilled to play a small partner. Unfortunately, the six-month window went by, and no one did the work to actually create a program for 800,000 people. This rollout only impacts, at best, 30,000 New Yorkers. That is not good government. First of all, that goes back on the promise, the people we said we would serve, and there really is no definite plan to deal with this issue. So it became basically a pilot program, not a large program, and I think it's important for New Yorkers to call that out. You don't do a ticker tape parade until you win the World Series. And we got to make sure that this doesn't happen again.
1: So, in terms of, uh, in terms of some of these large scale issues in the city, uh, one of the things the mayor had had brought up today, for example, was this issue of providing uh, some form of of health care or health uh, insurance for. Uh, Everybody, uh, you know, not uh, not completely uh, not complete access to everything, but some measure of uh, of care for people uh, who may not have the ability to pay, who may not be, uh, you know, have health care through their employer or or, or so on. Um, As somebody who evaluates what uh, what these things cost, what the real world impact of these things are. When you heard what he described today, did you feel like that is something the city is capable of paying for? And uh, how much will it cost the taxpayers?
3: So we we haven't yet scrutinized the mayor's budget proposal. He's going to come out with it shortly. Mm -hmm. And that's when we'll do that kind of number crunching, Celeste. The proposal, I think, is very exciting. I mean, talking about 600,000 people, many are immigrants who don't have access to insurance. They're paying a premium at our hospitals, putting a strain on our city hospitals. So that's a good way to shift the burden of care. I do. I am concerned about the health of our city hospital system. There's a possibility in two years that something known as dish funding could be constricted, uh, with a, which could put the city in a dangerous situation. That's years away. Many. Think that those cuts will never happen. As controller, I always wait. You know, I always err I, I, on the side of caution because bad things do come our way. But again, this is where Bill De Blasio sets the right priorities: uh, helping uh, struggling New Yorkers with insurance, uh, giving people uh, an opportunity to take vacation, to take care of a 6 one or a loved one. This is exactly the priorities that I like to align myself with him. Again, we do have to hold the administration to implementation now we've seen when the mayor wants to implement something and pre-k we see excellent implementation and a great program when the administration loses focus we see the debacle of half fares So my job is to hold agencies accountable and to call them out push prod uh, audit and make sure that we push these critical initiatives And that's what I try to do for New Yorkers. I try to position our office where people who have concerns know that we're going to have their back and we're going to watch out for them
2: and our listeners might not know this but i had worked for the controller's office uh, way before scott uh, started there and oh you know over years we did a lot there's a lot that the controller's office actually does that new yorkers might not know about because you know you file your the claims get filed there you monitor you're the watchdog of the city budget but there's so much more that you do you audit city agencies one thing i noticed on your website that was really interesting and relevant to today's topic about affordability, is you also had unveiled an affordability index on the website, and it really looked at, you know, the uh, escalating costs of rent and taxes and food and transportation. You know, why was this important to you, and what were some of the findings? What do you hope people can, you know, learn when they navigate this?
3: Well, Jeff, you know, it's interesting because you do come from the controller background, and you know that my job as chief fiscal officer is also to talk about the economy, I want very much for people to have an opportunity to create wealth in, in in neighborhoods. That's why we spend a lot of time looking at diversity issues, how we can advance women and minority-owned businesses. Creating wealth is fundamental to the future of New York, to lift everybody in every zip code and not concentrate wealth among the powerless or the people who have already been successful. That is something that we think about in the controller's Office. And sometimes people say, well, what is, why is that part of your job? And, well, first of all, we need to fight for the powerless, and we need to hold big government accountable. We have to hold Wall Street accountable, and as the steward of the pension fund, we do that a lot. But think about it. Who better to talk about the economy than the city controller? That is why we put together the first chief diversity officer. We've graded agencies based on mwbe participation we've put together an affordability index so people clearly can see what this is all about
2: um you know as you're assessing the economy my mind also goes to the impact on the city's economy based on what's happening federally and I'm, I'm curious, uh, you know, if you uh, if your office is looking into the impact that the federal shutdown is having, because, you know, on my end, as a PR guy, I've been hearing from a number of reporters reaching out to me to say, can you put us in touch with federal workers and what they're doing right now? And I'm sure your office is hearing from people. So w- can you just give us an assessment of, you know, what you might be doing or what you've heard?
3: This is why during budget time when I go to the city council, Ever since the Trump presidency, uh, I've said to the council and the mayor, we should continue to put resources away because of the uncertainty of how Washington is dealing with New York. We've highlighted the fact that losing state and local deductibility could hurt our people, middle class people, uh, in our city, driving them out of the city. We've also looked at some of the policies that reflect negatively on the city that could end up. Uh, forcing us to put more money into programs to keep people especially people who struggle afloat this president of anti-immigrant immigrant, this president has really targeted the city he grew up in for defeat so that is part of what we're trying to talk about fiscally you've got to put the money away for the rainy day and you'll hear more about this going forward but that is why i always say look we have to scrub city agencies looking for efficiencies that hasn't we haven't pegged agencies in five or six years. We have to see how much we can get into a lockbox, box, whether it's on healthcare or just regular funding so that we're ready for any emergency.
1: So in terms of uh the relationship, the financial relationship between the city and Washington, that's certainly part of it. Obviously, the shutdown uh, affects people. And I've, I've spoken to a number of, uh, of federal workers who have been furloughed, who are uh, mm-hmm. trying to figure out uh, how to get by without, you know, it's a big deal. Even missing one check is a big deal, especially in a place like New York. Um, so I'm curious, uh, as controller, when you look at some of these controversial issues where the uh, uh the city and the, uh, the capital sort of uh, butt heads. Uh, from a financial standpoint, say, take the sanctuary city policy, right? Uh, you know, Trump has been, you said Trump has been heavy on, on New York. Sanctuary cities has been uh, certainly a, a focus of his. He's uh, went to the border today, He's t- talking about mm-hmm. the border crisis. Now, one issue you know, about sanctuary cities is that uh, places that don't follow federal policy can lose federal funding. So you really come up against an issue of, uh, you know, is it a moral issue that costs you money, that costs you, uh, you know, that damages you financially? Mm-hmm. So as controller, where do you where do you have to kind of come down on that because you have a responsibility, maybe a moral responsibility, but you also have to make sure we have enough money to
3: you know, keep going, right? It is so offensive to me how this president has just been. I'm out and out racist, picking on immigrants, picking on vulnerable communities. I think we all feel a sense of dread every time we pick up a newspaper or listen to the radio or like your show. It is just a low point in our country. I can't believe this is actually happening. The reality is we have to continue to do what we did this year. We have to defeat uh, the Congress. We now have a majority in Congress. That, that's how democracy works and I think a lot of this issue will be dealt with in the presidential election. But this is a real hardship for the city, and the way I deal with it is we are to remind people we are a sanctuary city. We need to continue to stick together, and we have to be united. And I give, again, the mayor very good credit, great credit for being the spokesman for the most dis- diverse city in America, whatever our own personal disagreements or political disagreements may be. When we get out in public and talk about immigrants, talking about protecting children at the border, demanding that ICE and private prisons do not get used for harming innocent children, we've lost kids, have lost lives in these detention centers. We stand as one voice, whether it's the mayor, myself, the public advocate, we stand with members of Congress, and we are going to follow, you know, we know the law. We know how to play chess with this administration, and we're going to continue to do so.
1: So you, are you saying that, as mayor, you would continue to defy federal uh, regulations concerning so-called sanctuary cities?
3: Well, we're going to do everything we can to protect our immigrants. Specifically, we'll do, we'll, we deal with things when they come our way. I think we've made it pretty clear, and you asked me that question as mayor. I, I just want to remind you that I'm controlling. controller.
1: I know your controller, Mister Stringer. <laughs> <laughs>
2: she she was getting ready to ask you the next question. I think that's what it was about.
1: But I don't know, Jeff. I know. You want to ask? It? You want to ask?
2: It? <laughs> so your future plans? Obviously, I mean, we're everyone's focused on nationally who's going to be running for president. But we might as well be asking you, you know, about your future plans. Are we expecting to hear anything in the near future?
3: Right, right now, and I'm not trying to give you the the regular political answer, but really, right now. Uh part of what my thinking is is that I have three great years ahead of me as New York City controller. It's a job that we have really built capacity around. You know the challenges, Jeff, surrounding the office, but by any measure I think we've really fought hard for all communities in the city. And obviously I'm not gonna be controller three years from now. And I will talk more about the beginning of what comes next, probably you know, towards the end of the year, much later down the year. And when the time comes to deal with that, I'm going to do that. Right now, i got to focus on what's ahead of us. And 2020 looms large because what's at stake is our country. The way I can help people in the city is talking about wealth creation, talking about the diversity of the city, pushing my housing plan so that we can create tax reform to build hundreds of thousands of low-income units of housing, that we desperately need i want to prioritize the homeless crisis i want to prioritize the subway crisis you know i've been a leader in making sure that we expose the crisis in mass transit we came out with the audit and investigation on broken escalators broken elevators we did all the reports on the law the subway slowdown as it relates to the economy both the business and individuals And we've really been thought leaders in this effort. We've looked at our buses and how we can recreate a a modern bus transportation system. And we've also surveyed riders with our groundbreaking survey identifying commuter problems going back to 2017. So we have been ahead of the curve on mass transit, ahead of the curve on housing. And I think this is something I have to continue to do because the public wants me to do this right now. We did get the most votes when I ran free election out of every citywide candidate. So I know we have a mandate to do our
2: work. So I'm glad you mentioned the audits, because that was uh, a font of information. I really did enjoy working with the auditors in the controller's office when I was there. And I would invite our listeners to check out your website, and that is controller.nyc.gov. Not the way Celeste's former uh, newspaper used to spell controller. You spell it C-O-M-P-T-R-O-L-L-E-R.nyc.gov to be able to see some of these audits, because they are a font of information, and, and frankly, really explain how agencies work and where there are deficiencies.
3: Well, Jeff, I mean, and I, I know that you and Celeste take home our audits, read them over the weekend, quiz each other on them. Uh, <laughs> Ask me discuss anything. <laughs> whether, discuss whether it should be comptroller or controller. Uh, That's really how I got on this show, because the attention that you only you read all of these audits.
1: Um, I do want to ask you one uh, one thing, controller, about uh, something that Jeff had just mentioned or that you had just mentioned in passing about about transit, about the uh, transit situation, um, you know- People have been complaining for quite a long time now about the MTA, and there's always this sort of dispute about whose problem is it and who runs it and who owns it and so on. Do uh, you have any thoughts on, on when people are going to really see better service? We heard some interesting stuff about ferry service today uh, in the State of the City Address, and that's you know maybe that's going to be a positive for some people, but just the for the day-to-day New Yorkers that are listening to this program, when do you think things are going to get better and and how is that going to be funded?
3: Things are going to get better when we come up with a financial plan that speaks to the forty billion dollars we need to raise to bring the subways to good repair. This is going to take the cooperation of the mayor and the governor. This is going to take uh, this is going to take elected officials not playing to the crowd, but actually looking at a financial package that will fix the system. How that plays out? Well, it's going to be a tough slog in Albany and in New York City. I'm going to try to keep everybody focused in what's in front of us, which is actually getting us the resources to build uh, the city. One idea that I put forth, which uh, was in the Times today, so I think it's getting traction, is that to in, to reduce overcrowding and to give people more ex- you know access to the subway system, we have got to open up the commuter trains, Metro North, L I R R to stop uh, at subway stations, pick up passengers, and build capacity in the system. It probably is not feasible to build uh, the number of stations we need for a growing city that's increasing its population. But We we already have the infrastructure. Senator Gustavo Rivera and I did an op-ed today that spoke to the outrage of the uh, Metro North coming into Fordham Road in the Bronx opening the doors and letting the Connecticut uh strap hangers come out of the Metro North Line and barring Bronx residents on the platforms of fordham Road coming into that commuter train. This is one discrimination. It's anti Bronx and it doesn't help the system. So I'm gonna come up with the new ideas to make the system better. We work on these issues every day, Celeste.
1: Um one more, and you've been very generous with your time. So uh, we just uh, maybe have one, or one or two more quick questions for sure. you. Um, going back to the idea of of the future of the city, and we spoke a little bit earlier about about twenty twenty. I don't know if you have a particular candidate in mind that you that you are interested in, but um, what do you think happens to New York City financially and otherwise uh, if Donald Trump is reelected?
3: Uh, listen, I think it's, I can't even go there. The notion that he could serve two terms. I do think our democracy is at stake, and our city is at stake. in the mean, you know I've said, let's be cautious. even though we have a lot of money today, our economy is still red hot in terms of dollars coming in. Uh, we could talk about the inequality in our neighborhoods. I want to see us have a strategic plan if things don't go our way. Obviously, we need to do everything we can to make sure that in the electoral process we, we we win. That is the that is the bottom line, and that process is going to begin very shortly. You're going to see a lot of presidential candidates announced. I think there's going to be great interest in this country about 2020. In the meantime, I want to be able to focus on key issues that will help people the most in the city eradicating homelessness building a night plan creating a new affordable housing plan as i've done and then looking at mass transit and infrastructure as a way of creating wealth in all of our communities we don't talk enough about women and minority owned businesses we have a procurement process in the city you know we buy we hire law firms accounting firms we have food vendors of the people we contract with only five point five percent are companies that are women and minority-owned, and that prevents wealth from being in communities. And I've led the the, the battle to increase uh, MWBE participation in our city agencies. That's something that I'm going to continue to do between now and 2020.
1: Okay. No, I just uh, I, I understand that you're talking about priorities that are that are very specific to the city, and certainly those are important to us as people who live here and and write about what happens here. I was just curious as to as to what you thought because I mean, look, I've been covering you since you were uh, in the assembly. I know you since uh, you know this is you uh, you are not unfamiliar with uh, how democratic politics, in particular, democratic party politics in particular, works. So I was honestly just really curious to hear what you thought uh, about who would be sort of the best person the democratic party could advance if they wanted to convince American voters that Donald Trump is not the way to go. Like what, what do they need to do?
3: It's a good point. I mean, I, I'm not there yet with a specific candidate. I want a progressive that can make the case and take on Trump. I just don't have, I I just, I'm not there, but like you, uh, I think about it a lot because I'm very committed to doing everything I can to change the direction of our country.
2: So, uh, Controller Scott Stringer, I want to thank you so much for joining Celeste Katz and me here and also for indulging us as we asked uh, a lot of questions that were just on our mind this afternoon given the state of the city and also just what's going on federally. Thank you so much for joining I, I us. I hope
3: you'll get me back on the show. You, you're you both uh, amazing people and you clearly care about our city.
1: And, uh, Controller, if people want to find out more about you and your office, where should they go? Online, on social, uh, where can they find you?
3: We'll, 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 we'll get to you. know, We can go online uh, and find me, which is also at um, controller, not CON, Celeste, C-O-N, COM, <laughs> uh, controller.nyc.gov. Okay. And that is where you can find all of our audits and any questions you may have. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you so much. So you've been listening to Driving Forces with me, Jeff Simmons, and my co-host Celeste Katz here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. We're going to go right to our next guest, Jonathan Bowles, who's executive director of the Center for an Urban Future. And for more than two decades, uh, the center has been a catalyst for policies that reduce inequality, increase economic mobility, and grow the economy in New York City. Uh, this I don't know if you've ever uh, followed this, but this is an independent, uh, nonpartisan policy organization that uses fact-based research to elevate important uh, issues in the city. So welcome to the show, Jonathan.
4: Thanks. It's great to be here, Jeff and Celeste.
2: And I'm sorry for the delay in getting to you. We just had a very engaging discussion with the controller. We're going to get right to it first. The um, core to the center's goals has been making the city a better place to live and growing the economy and middle class jobs. Can you first tell our listeners about how you do that?
4: Sure. Well, uh, just like you said, we uh, we publish reports, fact-based reports that try to elevate really important issues and opportunities on the radar for policymakers, for New Yorkers, um, and really try to move policy that way. So, for instance, we've been focusing for a number of years just on the importance of creating middle-class jobs in the city and why that's so important and, and we're pretty proud that you know our work led to the de blasio administration uh, creating a plan to create a hundred thousand good jobs in the city a couple years ago uh... we've been focusing a lot on the opportunities of, of expanding low-income entrepreneurship in the city as one way for financial uh, self-sufficiency uh... giving people more opportunities and uh... and the city has run with some of those ideas so you know our reports tend to spark new policies that we we think helps uh, expand economic opportunity in the city.
1: Interesting, uh, interested to know what you thought of today's State of the City address, and particularly the, uh, uh, the aspect of uh, providing health care uh, to more New Yorkers in the way that the mayor described. Uh, do you think that's uh, a good idea? Can it work?
4: Absolutely, I mean, I think the mayor um, you know should be commended for taking on things that are going to help make people financially secure and when you talk about affordability challenges, health care is right up there, uh, and the opportunity to expand health care coverage to so many more people to undocumented New Yorkers um, really seems like a proposal that's overdue. Uh, I wish we had more federal leadership on those issues, but uh, I'm glad that uh, the city is is taking them on. I also really loved uh what the mayor is trying to do with universal retirement and prov- and and taking some steps to provide uh you know more resources for people as they get older we've got a city with more seniors than ever before in new york city and there's a lot of people in poverty that are older in new york uh, so i think that uh, we need to be working on those things and i also loved what he had to say about buses you know we've been writing a lot about how how transit and the lack of good bus service really does connect to affordability and creates uh, problems especially for working poor New Yorkers and we've really underinvested in our bus network in New York City and so I was pleased to hear him talk about expanding that today
2: you you know one of the things that i've always liked about the center is you will look at different sectors and look at issues within those sectors that people might think about but they really don't think about it you know, that deeply, and then you provide good insight, you know, and one that was so interesting, fascinating to me, was, you know, the impact of the economy on, uh, on the artist, you know, the arts and culture sector here in the city, I just found it fascinating about how artists, you know, uh, and smaller institutions are getting squeezed out. Can you talk a little about that, especially, you know, in, in light of our theme today about afford, you know, being uh, able to afford to live and work here in New York?
4: Absolutely. We often forget about artists. We take them for granted, but um, I really, truly believe, and frankly, our research has shown that uh, artists, working artists, arts organizations have actually been so important for New York City's rebound and, and economic growth over the last years. They, you know, there are reason why you know, the city's so competitive, why so many people want to move to New York. And frankly, you know, if you keep following it forward, that's why we're getting a lot of the tech growth that we're seeing in the city, why companies like Amazon want to be here, uh, because of the creative talent that's here. And that really starts with working artists and arts organizations. But, you know, the reality is, just like you say, Jeff, that, um, you know, artists are more squeezed now than ever before. Um, you know, I think we've always just kind of uh, accepted or believed that, you know, if artists get... Bumped out of Soho that they can move to some place like Williamsburg or if they get moved out of, pushed out of Williamsburg they can move to Red Hook or uh, Bushwick or, or Ridgewood. But, you know, we're running out of those places in New York City and, um, and artists uh, are, are really facing uh, greater challenges than ever and, and a lot of it is just uh, affording to, to live here and practice their art. Um, but also, it's the ability to afford spaces where they can work uh, and rehearse and perform. So, as a city, we've got to, if we want to keep the city going and and make it as competitive as it is right now, we can't lose this really crucial ingredient. You
2: just mentioned Amazon, so I'm curious if the center is doing anything on that. Or are you looking into that? I'm I'm curious if you think this is going to be good for the city. Can you weigh in at this point?
4: Sure. You know, I am in favor of Amazon's 25,000 good jobs coming into New York City. I get that there's all sorts of issues that are part of that. You know, we as an organization, you probably know, have written a lot over the years about, you know, some real problems with tax breaks for corporations, for subsidies. And obviously, I have some problems with the package that have been offered. But I really believe that the future of middle-class jobs is in the tech sector. And I think the idea of New York City landing one of the largest players in an industry that absolutely is going to be creating, that is going to be the fastest growing industry over the next 10 or 20 years, is a great thing for New York. And I think that what we need to do as a city is to make an Amazon size investment in education and workforce development to make sure more New Yorkers are able to get the good-paying jobs that are being created, not just at Amazon, but at other tech companies that are growing in the city. Uh, And it's not just Google and Amazon. There's a host of startups and and mid-sized companies in tech that are growing. Uh, There's a lot of good jobs. And I think, oh, there's a lot of frustration out there that that average New Yorkers, that low-income folks don't have a shot at those jobs. And we've got to turn that around, and we've got to make those investments to make sure New Yorkers get the credentials and skills so that they can get them.
1: And I'm also interested to ask another question, by the way, again, if you are uh, just joining us, this is Driving Forces here on WBAI 99.5 FM and streaming live on WBAI.org. Uh, we are talking to Jonathan Bowles of the Center for an Urban Future. Um I've been reading a lot about the uh, the so called gig economy, and there was a a kerf- uh, kerfuffle. Uh, took me. I wanted to say that word on the radio, and I blew it, but I had to say it again. But uh, there was there was kind of a dust up recently, actually, about a story about how more young people, I think particularly millennials, were choosing a freelance life that it afforded them sort of more independence, and they could make their own schedules. And there was a real like. You know, backlash to this idea. They're saying, look, it's not that we want to live in this gig economy. We don't want to work three jobs. It's just that you can't find one job that gives you everything you need. And this is how you have to live. So looking forward to uh, you know, an economy that works for people and that gives them uh, a chance to have a decent life and a decent income. Do you see that becoming more common or less common?
4: wow uh that's a great question uh you know i don't know that i i, I can tell you for sure what's going to happen with the economy going forward but look you're absolutely right that that backlash was real because um you know what we've seen with with new york's economy and and this isn't too different than the rest of the nation we've seen a, a real growth in in very high end jobs that require uh you know a lot of education college degree and and often advanced degrees uh and a, a huge number of low wage jobs that that really aren't uh, kind of taking you anywhere and aren't affording a middle-class life. And I think that's a big reason for the affordability challenge, by the way, right now in New York City. For instance, you know, over the last 10 years, we've had over 100,000 jobs just created in restaurants and bars in New York City. Uh, That's not paying the way for a lot of New Yorkers. We've had over 100,000 jobs created in New York City. Uh, that are home health aides, uh, also one of the lowest-paying positions out there, and so it's not surprising that people are turning to to gig economy work, uh, to freelance work, uh, with driving cars on the side to supplement their income, to to make a living. Um, but we've absolutely got to figure out uh, where are those good-paying jobs, where are the middle-class jobs uh, of the future. Uh, I'm glad that the De Blasio administration is taking steps to invest in those things, but there's a lot more that can be done here in New York City. Uh, I'd love to see, for instance, some investment in infrastructure. Uh, I think we all know from the subways, but really with so many other things, that, uh, that we have aging infrastructure that's falling apart, that's really in need of investment. It's going to require some money, but making that investment, we believe, will end up creating some good-paying, accessible jobs. Um, uh, we think that uh, expanding getting more of the small businesses we know are are, are great in New York City to grow into medium-sized and large businesses is also one step the city could take to improve the number of middle-class jobs uh, we've got a lot of uh, companies out there that are great, but that have five or fewer employees. Uh, but when you get up to a point where they're having 20 or 30 or 40 employees, you've got a lot more middle-class jobs that are offering benefits in in those companies. So uh, there's a lot we can do, but absolutely people are, are kind of stitching together a lot of different jobs, a lot of work just to get by in this city.
2: So Jonathan, we've got about a minute left because we do have another guest, who I know we're behind. What are some of the issues that you think are worthy of further exploration as we, uh, you know, that you might be looking at, or you think the New Yorkers should be more concerned about, uh, you know, that, that they feel our legislation, legislators should even take on uh, to, you know, stop squeezing the middle class and to, you know, retain the population? What are some of the issues on the horizon that we should be
4: looking to? Well, thanks for asking, Jeff. And, you know, I I mentioned it a little bit when I was talking about Amazon, that that I really think whether they're here or not, we need an amazon size investment in skills building and education, because I think the challenge that we've seen over the last decade or two is that, you know, the city's always been expensive. But right now, wages are stagnant, and so many more of the good-paying jobs require higher education and greater skills. And so, um, you know, there are 3.3 million adult New Yorkers that that don't have at least an associate's degree right now. We've got to change that. We've got to really make sure more New Yorkers are able to get some kind of college uh, experience. Uh, we've got to make sure that more of the New Yorkers that start CUNY are able to finish and get a credential Uh, Right now, only 23% of folks that enroll in CUNY's community colleges actually graduate in three years. Um, We've got to invest in apprenticeship programs. We find that those are really great uh, uh, springboards to the middle class, but we only have a very small number of those kind of programs. So there's a lot of those kind of investments that we'd love to see that really, I think, would help expand economic mobility.
2: And before I forget, as we close, how can people learn more about the Center for an Urban Future?
4: We're at nycfuture.org.
2: Jonathan Bowles, Executive Director of the Center for an Urban Future. Thank you for joining Celeste Katz and me, Jeff Simmons, here on Driving Forces.
4: Thanks so much.
2: So we are going to go right to our final guest. Uh, This is George Sweeting, who is the Deputy Director of the Independent Budget Office, or IBO. IBO's main responsibility is to provide nonpartisan, I stress that, nonpartisan information about the city budget and tax revenues. George, welcome to Driving Forces.
5: Good evening. Good to be with
2: you. And we apologize for the delay because we went long in our first interview with Scott Stringer because we had a very engaging discussion. Let me start off by just uh, focusing on the economy and the city's economic outlook. This is something that IBO pays attention to. Can you give us an idea of what your forecast has been for the local economy?
5: Um, we we published an uh, update of our forecast back in December, um, and at that point we were looking at uh, an economy that is continuing to grow. Uh, it's definitely slower growth than we've experienced uh, in the recent past, but uh, you know it's it's growth that uh, by our projections doesn't lead to a recession at least in the next uh, few years. Um, the city would add about sixty-four thousand jobs, we think, uh, when all the numbers are in for two thousand eighteen, which is a pretty good year. But it's uh, well below the city had been averaging almost a hundred thousand over the uh, the eight years before that. So it's it's definitely a slowdown. But it's you know it's the city is still adding jobs, and that's that's the single best indicator we have of the the health of the local economy.
1: And what. Uh What factors account for the slowdown? Is it one thing, multiple things?
5: Um, That's a that's an interesting question. I think the uh, you know at 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 some point the the city's uh, capacity to add jobs uh, you know begins to to run into some realities in terms of space, in terms of cost. uh, As uh, more and more as as businesses add more jobs, they require more space. That drives up uh, rents and the cost of land. Um, there's, there can be more competition for, uh, for, to attract people so that the salary, the wages go up. Uh, those aren't necessarily bad things, but those are some of the things that begin to slow down, um, uh, slow down growth. Um, I think the other, you know, the, the national economy also gives some evidence of, of beginning to slow. It had a sort of a burst, uh, fueled mostly by the, uh, the tax cuts, the federal tax cuts in uh, 2018. That's sort of petering out, and uh, we're, we're beginning to look like it's, you know, it's going to settle in at, at a fairly modest uh, rate of, of economic growth for the country as a whole. And, of course, that uh, trickles down to the local
1: level.
2: So earlier today, the mayor delivered his state of the city. And in the coming weeks, usually what's less, it's about a month, month and a half before the the, the fiscal plan. Yeah,
1: the budget proposal.
2: What are some of the things that you think we should be looking for in that fiscal plan based on his announcements today?
5: (laughs) Well, the first thing is, you know, we're we're going to be very interested in seeing what what they estimate the costs of some of these new programs to be. You know, they want to expand the 3K program or speed up the expansion of the 3K program. That's going to mean having to hire more teachers, um, contract for more space. Um, There's, you know, there's a proposal to expand the uh, access to health care through this uh, NYC Care program. I think there's a lot of details that people like like our office are looking to see in order to before we're really comfortable with what the Estimated cost of that will be, and then there's sort of the usual things you always look at. You know, what's um, you know, are there any new new threats from Albany? Uh, Last spring, we saw some proposals from the governor to uh, literally raid some of the city's property tax revenue in order to direct it towards the MTA. Um, You know, that, that was not at the end of the day. That was not part of the adopted state budget. But some things like that, you know, could pop up again. We're going to get the, the governor's uh, budget proposal in a couple of weeks, it looks like. Um, so, you know, we're going to be paying attention to that. <clears throat> and then there are, you know, wh- what's going to happen with um, with NYCHA. Uh, there are clearly going to be additional costs for the city one way or the other. Uh, there was a negotiation that... Uh, looked like it was going to go somewhere negotiated settlement but now that's that's uh being a bit undone
2: and that's interesting because you know we we do want to pay attention to that because that was one of the things that uh the mayor did not discuss today in the state of the city i think think he had a sentence in there a sentence yeah something like that Okay,
5: yeah i think he did have one sentence but it, it was more about they were going to ensure um you know some more services but uh not no details on on exactly how they would do it or what it would cost.
1: So that well, and that's precisely it. And that's that's what I think. I mean, I certainly, as a reporter, and especially when I was at City Hall, loved about IBO reports, and I like legitimately like really got into them because you would hear a lot of uh, proposals from. Uh, either the mayor, from the council, from uh, state legislators, for so on. And then you know, they always would say that, you know, this is going to be great for everybody, and maybe that's true. And the IBO tells you exactly what it's going to cost. <laughs> and, or we try to. <laughs> or, or try to, because, you know, sometimes these things can't even be calculated. So yeah. uh, on the health care plan, for example, uh, Jeff and I, you know, when we were preparing for the show, one thing that uh, that we had in our notes here is that we are already looking at, by, uh, you know, by your measures, a pretty significant increase in the cost of health care for public sector workers, which is sort of natural. As contracts grow, you get uh, more people uh, getting better coverage uh, and uh, negotiations that add to those costs. I mean, are we – I know it's early to tell, but just the idea of adding to the existing costs by a dramatic expansion of health care for people who are uninsured and even undocumented, is that – is that just fantasy land, or is this? Is there a way to do this?
5: Um, well, I think you know, an awful lot obviously is going to depend on the details. I mean, the some of the discussion has made it sound more like a program to push people to take greater advantage of existing programs uh, and uh, health insurance programs that are provided by HHC, H H+H. plus H, and if that's It you know it may not wind up being that much of an additional cost. Um, You know there'll there'll be the cost of administering and signing people up and whatever, but that may not. I mean Medicaid and some of the other um, funding sources, uh, you know, may be actually the existing funding sources may be providing much of that additional care. Uh, you know, it, it remains to be seen exactly how they're going to structure this. But that, it, it could be that it's actually going to be more about an administrative process than a, than a service delivery process.
2: So, George, unfortunately, because we are very behind, we're going to have to uh, end the show very briefly. Can you just tell our listeners how they can learn more about IBO?
5: Sure. Uh, best thing to do is go to our website. That's Ibo.nyc.ny. U.S. Uh, you'll find all of our publications there, all of our testimony, a lot of data, uh, guides to the budget. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at NYCIBO uh, and uh, also on Facebook NYCIBO.
2: George Sweeting from the Independent Budget Office. Thank you for joining Celeste Katz and me, Jeff Simmons, here on WBAI's Driving Forces.
5: Glad to be with you. Good night.
2: So as another show comes to a close, I just would like to let our listeners know that on Saturday, January 19th, the day of the Women's March, Celeste Katz and I will be hosting live coverage between 2 and 4 p.m. that afternoon. We'll be taking your calls. Check our uh, check us out on the Driving Forces Facebook page as well as WBAI. We'll be able to give you call-in information and we'll have a series of guests.
1: And we'd like to thank today's guests. Uh, that was uh, New York City Controller Scott Stringer, Jonathan Bowles for, uh, from the Center for an Urban Future, and uh, George Sweeting of the Independent Budget Office. Uh, we'd also like to thank, of course, our great engineer, Reggie, who uh, helps us hold it down every single week here at uh, Driving Forces.
2: Have a great day.
0: There are new favorable developments in the case of Mumia abu jamal on saturday january 12th starting at 3 pm at the people's forum 320 west 37th street listen to guest speakers glenn ford pam africa bob doyle robin spencer and dr joanna fernandez on their report if the da doesn't appeal Mumia's case will move forward to a higher court where he will be able to present evidence of innocence a report back on new favorable developments in the case of momia abu jamal on saturday january 12th starting at 3 p.m at the people's forum 320 west 37th street for more details email bring momia home at gmail.com
4: we've got our friends at cnn here you guys love breaking news And you did it, you broke it. I think what no one in this room wants to admit is that Trump has helped all of you. He couldn't sell steaks or vodka or water or college or ties or Eric, but he has helped you. He's helped you sell your papers and your books and your TV. You helped create this monster and now you're profiting off of him.
3: We're with you, Michelle Wolf. But if corporate media has got you down, maybe you should try WBAI. We'll listen to supported community radio questioning the mainstream narratives trumpeted by the news profiteers. But in order for this whole thing to work, we need your help. Please go to give the number 2 WBAI.org to find out how you can support WBAI or call 516-620-3602. And thanks for supporting Free Speech Radio on WBAI New York. Untitled,
1: produced and hosted by Malika Lee Whitney, will be heard on Fridays from 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. Untitled presents features on the arts, culture, education, and social issues. You will also enjoy music from a variety of genres. Special guests complement the program with insightful and engaging conversation. That's Untitled, Fridays from 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. over listener-sponsored, non-commercial, WBAI New York, 99.5 FM and WBAI.org.
4: Wait a minute, wait a minute. You ain't heard nothing yet.
3: Hi, this is Virginia White of Earth and Fire, and you're listening to The Sweet Spot on WBAI. Hi, this is Ruth Pointer of the Pointer Sisters, and you're listening to the Sweet Spot on WBAI. 99.5 FM.
1: It's the incredible Mr. Roy Ayers.
3: I hello. hello, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Tune into The Sweet Spot with your hosts Baby K and Kyle McNeil.
1: Every Thursday at 10 p.m., we will be bringing you the best in soulful sounds with extensive artist interviews, remotes, and themed specials. That's The Sweet Spot with Baby K and Kyle McNeil. Thursdays at 10 p.m., only on WBAI 99.5 FM. Listener-sponsored community radio. Hello, So nice to see you. Nice to see you, too. So I hear you're, actually, I don't hear, I know you're doing a new radio show on WBAI. That's right. Starting January 7th, I'm going to be the host of a brand new show in the morning, 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. What are you calling it? It's called Waking Up. And what are you going to do? Well, we're going to help people wake up. Both wake up, you know, out of their beds with the kind of news that they need to start their day. But also to keep... An awakened perspective on what's going on in the news, both here locally and, you know, New York City, the boroughs and the tri-state area, and also nationally because New York affects the nation, the nation affects New York, and again, WBAI is an independent radio station where you can get perspectives that you're not going to hear on corporate media. So I hope everyone will tune in 7 a.m.,
2: Waking Up with Juliana Forlaco. fighting about
0: This is WBAI New York at 99.5 FM and WBAI.org online. This is a listener-sponsored community radio station providing you a Pacifica state of mind since 1960. And something happened earlier this week that I totally, totally spazzed out and have to share this with the listening audience. January 8th, 1960 is actually the day when WBAI uh, became the third station as part of the Pacific